I never really looked at fighting as like a, it's violent, it's a dangerous sport. I just kind of always looked at it as a sport. Like it's like, I'm gonna, you know, go out there and turn this dude's lights off in the most non-violent way. I think, put him, put him asleep, end the fight. You know, it's just like, it's always been chess to me. It's always been a violent game of chess. It's never been like a aggressive fight. Like I want to hurt this guy because I don't like him. It's never really been like that to me. Um, it's always more of like a, a sport. Who's going to go out there and who's going to win? Welcome to In Search of Excellence, where we meet entrepreneurs, CEOs, entertainers, athletes, motivational speakers, and trailblazers of excellence with incredible stories from all walks of life. My name is Randall Kaplan. I am a serial entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and the host of In Search of Excellence, which I started to motivate and inspire us to achieve excellence in all areas of our lives. My guest today is Sean O'Malley, the UFC Bantamweight Champion of the World with a 17-1 record, who everybody believes is the next Conor McGregor. Sugar Sean, welcome to In Search of Excellence. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Glad it worked out in Vegas. In Vegas? Yeah. So I always start my show with our family because I always want to know what kind of values your family instilled in you and <laughs> what, what did they instill in you? What were your parents like growing up and what kind of influence did they have on you? Uh, my dad was a cop. He was a detective. For 20 years, worked as a narcotics officer, bounced around in that. And then uh, my mom was a nurse. I just, I, most of my memories are just sports, like going to, going to the practice, getting picked up from practice, going from baseball to soccer, practice in the same day. So most of my memories looking back are just like we were competitive since I was three, four, five years old, playing all sorts of sports, hated school from early on like elementary school i was like i knew i didn't like school middle school hated it high school hated it just didn't like school uh for whatever reason i don't really know um but yeah i think uh i feel like i had a pretty normal childhood growing up grew up in helena montana like a mile from the lake the only problem with that was you could only go to the lake for like two months out of the year because montana is so cold um and then when it's really hot there's always fires, so there's always very few times you could actually go out to the lake. But it was cool. I had a I had a normal childhood, I'd say. So your dad was a cop. Mm -hmm. uh, did he go out and do some narcotics work with the undercover? Did you ever worry about his safety? Yeah, I remember being young, worrying about it more so than than I got older. I mean, being in a cop in Helen, Montana, there'd be a lot worse places in the United States to be a cop. So I was like, well, it's not too bad. But yeah, there was definitely times where I was like, man, that's kind of a dangerous job. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. You know, I, I wasn't, you know, didn't drink, didn't smoke till I was, you know, older, older. And I, I didn't, I was like terrified of marijuana because my dad and my mom would basically just say it's like the worst thing ever. So growing up, I was just very terrified of that. Didn't drink till I was 21. Um, so which I think is a good thing. It got me to from Helen, Montana. When I moved, I was, I was 19 years old. I moved to Phoenix. Um, and I was, you know, I'm glad I didn't partake in any of those. Um, until I was older, but yeah. So you said when you were a kid, you played a lot of sports. What mm -hmm. kind of sports did you play? And were you good? Did you know you were a good athlete? Good hand-eye coordination back then? Yeah, I always, I was, I was fast. I always knew I was fast. Um, played soccer, baseball, football, and basketball. Those four all year round. Because depending on what season, if it's you know cold out, snowing, it was basketball season. 
Um, but yeah, I played sports my whole life. So did my, both my brothers, my sister. We all just played sports. It was like traveling baseball, traveling basketball, school basketball. Um, just, yeah, those four sports all year round, nonstop. The popular kid? I mean, you have a great personality. No, not, not really. Definitely wasn't a popular kid. I didn't really fit in with the, the jocks, the sports guys. Um, I didn't really fit in with the, you know, the skateboard crew. I kind of had my own little clique or our own little group that kind of got along with everybody. Um, we were kind of little, you know, shitheads, but, uh. What's a shithead back then? I don't know. Kind of class clowny, you know, I try to make people laugh. Dude, I was never a bad kid, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't say, I was definitely not a popular kid. No. Did you get in trouble as a kid at all? I mean, your parents scold you or ground, or yeah, ground you at all? Yeah, in school we'd get in trouble, or I'd get in trouble a little bit, you know, maybe having a laser on the teacher, or <laughs> farting in class. Like a red, red, red yeah, laser? red laser. Shit like that, you know. So I was, was never too bad, but I was definitely a troublemaker. Did you ski? I mean, uh, Helena's a, a cold, cold city, cold state, Montana. Yeah. Some great, great skiing there, Big Sky. Yeah, I, I, I snowboard skied a little bit when I was younger, um, 12, 13, 14, around maybe that age group, and then I, I stopped. Not a huge fan of the cold. Um, so ever since I moved to Phoenix, I was like, hadn't really gone back. Definitely not in the winter, but, uh, very little bit, but I definitely did. So you said you have three siblings. Mm-hmm. Are you guys tight? Were you tight then? Tight now? Um, I'd say we were a little bit tighter when we were younger. And then you get in the middle school, high school, we kind of, we we're all four years apart. So 16 years, your parents had kids. Yep. Yep. We're all boom, 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 four years apart. So we kind of were closer when we were younger. We were all doing our own thing, middle school, high school, you know, it's kind of separated. But now, you know, my brother, both my brothers, my sister, my mom all live in Arizona, which is really cool. So because you moved there. Yeah, I moved there and I was there for probably about seven, eight years by myself trying to get everyone to move down. My sister was still in high school. My mom and dad were still together. My little brother was going to school there. My older brother was just a complete wreck, like not doing good at all on drugs, just not doing good. So it was just a mess back home. And I finally, you know, was in a p- position financially to be able to really help everyone out. So now everyone lives down in Phoenix and uh, everyone's doing pretty good. You still help them out financially. I mean, when someone when someone gets rich and makes a ton of money, uh, often a lot of people say, I'm, I'm going to support my family. Are you, is your family in that position right yeah, now? Yeah, I definitely don't want to enable them to where it's like, you don't, I don't, they, they completely rely on me. But there's, you know, my mom works for me. I'd what be, does she do for you? She does, she's like, she she basically she runs my life <laughs> like as far as making sure all my taxes are you know done sent into the accountant look ran through all my bills are paid i have six houses so she kind of helps me manage all that she does every she just works do anything i need done she's on top of that um my little sister helps out i have a little farm she helps out at the farm i also bought like four houses from her she's a realtor right so that worked out nice um my little brother and I did a podcast for a while, but he went. He's going back to school, uh, chiropractic school. So he's been really busy doing his thing. What age is he now? He's twenty. Ooh, that's crazy. Twenty five. Yeah, twenty five. Then my older brother. He's he's doing he's doing way better. He's he's got a son. Him and his son live with my mom right now, and they're uh you know they're getting by doing their thing. But yeah, it's nice. Everyone's everyone's healthy and doing good. I collect shoes. And you collect houses. Yeah. So, so why? So what's with the six houses? Um, where, where are they, and when? Why so many? Yeah, they're all in Arizona. Um, my the first house I bought was just like I always wanted to be smart with my money. I was always my mom was very very 
stingy when it comes to money. Like she had four kids. She wanted to make sure we have all our, everything we had. She wanted to make sure we had everything we needed. So I, it was like, it was, I remember my parents always fighting about money. It was always about money. I don't know if that's why in my mind when I was younger, it's like, I want to be rich because I've always, I've always wanted to be rich. Um, but then when I started making money, I was like, okay, you know, you have that urge, you get a lot of money, you have an urge to like, I want to buy something nice. I want right. to buy something. And for me, I was like, okay, well, if I put the money into a house and then rent it out and get the mortgage gets paid for, at least I spent that money. It felt good. I felt, you know, I, whatever reason feels good to spend money like that. But it's also like that money's not just gone. It's it's somewhere good. So I just kind of like buying houses. I met a couple buddies, Blake, who's my assistant now that you just met. I actually met him about two years ago, three years ago, playing Call of Duty. I used to stream. I used to play uh, stream on Twitch like a lot every day. There's a certain there's a certain group of people that would be in my chat all the time. Every time I go live, they're in my chat. Him, another buddy, Schmitty, a couple of my other but other buddies were always in there. And I bought a house, I rented it out to them, and moved them all down to Arizona. So, so you now, meet these you meet these random guys online. I met them online. You're famous at this point, or, yep, or coming yep, up. Yep. And you got tons of people coming up to you, right? Too many. Yep. Don't know who to trust. Yeah. And so how how are you meeting people on Twitch <laughs> and, and trying to sort through the madness, you right? Just, you, I feel like you know, you know, you know. Uh, it's just like I, I invited them. I didn't just invite them out to live here. I invited them out, had a little uh, a little little uh, hangout session with bunch of my subscribers and I like these kids like, okay, in person these kids, yeah yeah so you invite them to Arizona and like these kids I, they got along with the group and uh you know they're good good people I invited them I said I got you know have an extra house if you guys want to rent it out four of them moved down four they you know they still they've lived there for about a year and uh now he's my assistant so we you know he's one of my good buddies and it's it's really cool it's been it's cool a lot I met a lot of cool people I don't game anymore I, I quit streaming recently but uh why just like just you know i'm at the top of the game right now i'm at the i'm the champ i got a target on my back it's like those two hours i spend gaming or two hours i can spend with elena who i have a three-year-old princess or you know just recovering you train in the morning recover you got training in the afternoon streaming takes a lot of energy especially as a high energy streamer i was screaming i was you know playing i was engaging with the chat it was just a lot of energy and i just you know i needed to put that energy somewhere else let's go back a little bit to school um, education, a lot of people think it's the best investment you can make in yourself. You felt like you were not learning anything and it was a w- waste of time. Were your parents telling you, hey, uh, Sean, you know, you should stay in school. You should do better. Or you just said, fuck this. I'm, I'm done. Yeah, I just I, I remember being like third grade being like, I just I'm over this shit. But third grade. Yeah, I feel like I remember young being like You're 10 years old. <laughs> probably something like that. I was like. <laughs> I realized you go, you know, you got to go to middle school. You have to go to high school, but you don't have to go to college. I knew first, I knew I wasn't going to college. Like, right. Not paying to come go to school. No way. For me, it was, I didn't really enjoy reading or learning because all the stuff I was reading or learning was just something to, I was just not interested in it at all. When I moved to Arizona, I was 19. Like me and Tim kind of started reading um, books on, you know, sports, psychology and stuff just how to how to train smarter how to how to use your mind and, and put yourself in, in in your in the present moment and have intentions going into training session like that stuff was fascinating to me so i'd read i'd be like oh maybe i don't hate reading i just hate reading shit i don't care about right like that's what i got <clears throat> out of that i didn't like like i just didn't like school because i was like it just doesn't make sense you go to school for eight hours you have an hour each class you have homework on each class you have a test on each class how, how are you guys expect you know, some people are very, very smart and can just do that. But for me, I'm like, 
I can't do eight classes in a day and not remember remember each different thing and then have a test on all of them and then do homework on everything. I stopped doing homework in like sixth grade. I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I can't do this. But uh, so I just never understood the setup of school. I just don't get it. Still don't understand. Like, I don't get why. I feel like there's got to be a better way to, you know, educate people. I mean, you're a role model, right? I mean, you know, there's the tens of millions of people. They look up to you. And a lot of people are sitting out there listening today as well and say, hey, man, Sean, Sugar <laughs> doesn't like school. Maybe I really don't need school. What's your advice to the people out there who view you as their, their champion and yeah. your um, example of people who don't go to school? And do you want your three-year-old daughter to be a student and go to college? Uh, I feel like I just got lucky I found a passion. I think that's just that. That's if I didn't have a passion, I wouldn't be able to say I'll, like it, it depends what you're passionate about. If you find something you're passionate about that involves like having to go to school to learn and get an educate, get a degree or whatever to get you to that next level, then yeah, 100%. For me, I was kickboxing, I was knocking people out. I'm like, I don't need to do, I don't need to go to school for this. I need to go to the gym, I need to train, I need to hit mitts, I need to learn how to spar. I need to, you know, I should be learning about how to eat healthy, I should be learning about how to meditate i should be learning about how to control my emotions i should be learning about all this other stuff <clears throat> that actually is going to benefit me for what i want to do so as far as elena going to school i don't know i mean she's three right now she's gonna i, I think you learning the abc's learning how to count learning all the basic basic stuff is very important obviously um but at, at a certain level it's like it depends what she's passionate about maybe she's maybe she doesn't have a passion until she's way older like some people don't really know what they're passionate about that's that's tricky. I don't have advice for that because I don't know. I mean, I was lucky enough to find something I'm passionate about. So you're on vacation with your family in Utah. You get a call from somebody, and that was sort of the start of it. So what, what was that? <laughs> what was that call like? And yeah. you're sitting there. I mean, where were you in Utah? And and you know, what are you thinking? Hey, that's man, funny. this is that's funny. You bring that up because I actually forgot. I do remember that now that you said that, but I forgot. But about like that was actually the initial call. My buddy Mitch Foley. It was in the summer. We were at a campground. And he called, he's like, yo, you want to check out this uh, fighting gym? And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. You know, I think I was 15, 16 years old at the time, going into f- freshman year, sophomore year, whatever that age group is. Like, yeah, that sounds sweet. I was kind of over, <clears throat> I still like sports, I still like competing, but I was over the team sports. I didn't really get good grades, you have to get good, <clears throat> good grades to play sports. Didn't really get along with the jocks, didn't really get along with the coaches, was always rebellious, hated taking orders. I'm like boxing, the one-on-one, you win because you win, you lose because you lose. It's like it's your fault either way. And I wanted to, I wanted to experience that. So, yeah, we checked out a fighting fighting gym in, in Montana. That where, you know, it's not the most knowledgeable place, but it, it, it built me as a fighter for sure because I was able to fight so often. And uh, but yeah, that was that was it. We went back to Montana, went and checked out the gym, just loved it. This episode of In Search of Excellence is brought to you by Sandy.com, S-A-N-D-E-E.com. We're a Yelp for beaches and have created the world's most comprehensive beach resource by cataloging more than 100 categories of information for every beach in the world, more than 100,000 beaches in 212 countries. Sandy.com provides beachgoers around the world with detailed, comprehensive, and easy-to-use information to help them plan their perfect beach getaway at home and abroad, and to make sure you're never disappointed by a beach visit again. Plan the perfect beach trip today by visiting sandy.com. That's www.sandee.com. The link is in our show notes. Stay sandy, my friends.
So you get in the gym for the first time and you're looking around, there's weights there, there's bags and you don't know what to do, right? Just like, like what, what did you do? You started pumping weights. Was there someone in there showing there you what to do? Yeah. Did you have a mentor in there, a trainer? It wasn't really weights. It was more of just like a fighting gym. There wasn't really like a bench press and, you know, really, there's bags hanging. I think, it, I think the first session I ever did was actually jujitsu, which I ended up stopping for like three years because I didn't like it. But that was like my first any uh first time training with like doing jujitsu um and then shortly after that we just kickbox we'd spar so basically most of our sessions were sparring and hitting mates and that's what i like to do i was i would naturally i was like okay i'm pretty good at this i was athletic i was hard to hit and i was you know able to hit people because i feel like i'm naturally gifted as when it comes to speed i'm very fast and i think that's the number one attribute in fighting is speed so i naturally was pretty good at it and i uh, just kind of got addicted to it thought chicks would like it. That was a big thing too. I was like, like, well, you want to get chicks. You're 16. You're insecure. Fighting sounds kind of cool. So that was definitely a, a big part of why I wanted to fight. You went back to get your GED degree. You're in a special school. You get in a fight. You got kicked out. What what happened there? Yeah, it's, it's hard to even remember how it all went because I went to so many different high schools for a little while there. I went to, I went to Capitol and then I went to... This is back in Montana. Montana. Yep. I went to Capitol and Hel- I went to Capitol High in Helena. Then I went to and lived with my aunt, and uncle, in, in uh, uh, Hamilton. Went there for a little bit. Ended up kind of fucking around over there. My aunt and uncle were like, "We can't. We don't. We can't handle him. He's sneaking out, hanging out with chicks, and doing all this stuff, which was true." But I was like, "So they're like, just get me out of here." So I moved back to Helena. Decided to drop out. Go to this boot camp. Montana Youth Challenge. Go there for a few weeks, maybe a month or so. I think it was like a six-month program. Would end up sneaking out of that with a couple buddies doing our own thing. Eventually got kicked out of that. Went back home. Went and tried to do my GED. I'm like, this, I just don't really care for that. Then ended up going to this um, school called PAL, Project of Alternative Learning. So it was like, it was just like an alternative high school to where they, it was just, for people like me, it was like people that didn't like school, still needed to get get a diploma or whatever. So I ended up going to there and then graduated and yeah, it's bounced around quite a bit. You just mentioned you were an insecure kid. I think yeah. you know, so many so many people who are very successful, including me, was very insecure. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of friends, stuttered, was bullied and was really in my own world for a very long time. Mm-hmm. At what point did you kind of come out of that? I mean, sometimes as a boy or a young man, I think one of the things is, are you too uncool to have a date with a girl? And, and you know, that was certainly my my take for a very long time. So did you get the girls when you started <laughs> fighting and winning? Or, or <laughs> what, what was the first success you had there? And you're like, all right, my kickboxing it's is working. working. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think obviously every kid in high school is insecure you can't i don't think you're gonna find a kid that's not insecure in high school whether you have acne or you don't know if your shirt's nice enough or you're wearing the right jeans or you'd be just for me it was a little bit of acne looking back i don't even think it was that bad but i remember just being like yeah your hormones are crazy at 15 16 years old um but yeah so i think you know kickboxing won a couple fights it definitely gained some confidence um Talk to chicks was, you know, a little bit easier for whatever reason. Maybe just that little bit of confidence you get from knocking someone out. A lot of people don't know that feeling, but it's a good feeling. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. 
I'd say, you know, it definitely worked. <laughs> so kickboxing, I think a lot of people don't know what that is. So are you in a square boxing ring and is there a, a, a league? I mean, you're in Montana. Who, who are you fighting? <laughs> Yeah, so they would have kickbox. They would just have like a whole fight event. So some people would be boxing, some people would be kickboxing. You had to be eighteen to do an MMA fight. So I was sixteen, seventeen years old. So I only could kickbox. So it's just in a ring, headgear, shin or uh, head. Sometimes headgear, sometimes not. But shin guards, boxing gloves, and uh, we would just yeah kickbox. I think there were three minute rounds, two minute rounds. Just go. I remember you know you'd fight one weekend, take a weekend off, fight again in another another city, and just kind of travel around Montana fighting. And, uh, but yeah, so I did that. I did, I think I did four boxing fights and four kickboxing fights from 16 to 18. Then once I turned 18, I did MMA. Won them all, eight now? Uh, yeah, boxing, kickboxing, won all those as an amateur. And then I did MMA. I was 12 and two as an amateur MMA fighter. And then I turned pro. As a kickboxer, were you just wiping people off the map uh, early on or did it take a while to kind of understand what you were doing? No, I was just, I mean, I was 16 years old fighting other you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds. Um, and uh, yeah, I was, I, I was knocking them out. So you said that when you dropped out of school, you weren't learning, but you've also learned a lot when you started kickboxing. The lessons you learned there were a lot more important life lessons than you would learn in school. What were the lessons and how have they applied to your, the rest of your life? I think I just learned, I wanted to be like the best. It was more so once I got into MMA and wanted to be the best. When I decided when I was 18 that I want to be considered one of the greatest fighters of all time, what does that what does that mean? What do I have to do? And I was like, okay, now I have to learn how to eat good so I don't get injured. I have to learn about my sleep schedule, learn about my mind, like perform, being able to show up in that moment every single time. That's what I feel like I do better than everyone. I show up that night, what, March 9th in Miami, I'm going to show up. I know how to show up. I know how to, I know how to, for 12 weeks, how to create that headspace of where I need to be to show up that night. So I feel like I've learned a lot about, and that, and I learned more so that that doesn't even, that's not just about fighting that's just in life in general sleeping good eating good and taking care of your mind and body it's like that's i learned that because i wanted to be the greatest fighter but i i mean i just need that for just everyday life in general so yeah that's what i learned most i think so many of us have dreams as a kid i always knew i want to have my own company mm -hmm. grow a company i sold t-shirts in college and that was my thing i remember sophomore yeah. year in high school uh, econ class we did a tour of federal mogul which is a, mm -hmm. a fortune 500 company in southfield michigan and we did the tour, probably 40 of us in there. And we're in the CEO's uh, place. And he's a huge desk. And the woman who's doing the tour, he's not there. So huge office. I said, gosh, you know, this is cool. And I said, can I sit behind his desk? Just look <laughs> at me. What, what? And she thought, okay, why not? And I remember yeah. feeling how good that felt. And yeah. I said, one day. And I, I knew even then what I want to do. I want to go in business. I thought I had a knack for it. We all have dreams, right, mm -hmm. as kids. Mm -hmm. So how old were you when you actually had the dream uh, that you want to be number one champion of the world? And what's your advice to all the people out there who have the same dream and say to themselves, man, that's fucking hard to do. Less than 1% of 1% yeah. will be successful. But what's the mentality there? What's the advice you have for all those people? Uh, yeah, I wanted to be rich and famous before I wanted to be champ, before I wanted to be the best fighter in the world. I wanted to be rich and famous when I was real young. So I, I didn't really know how I was going to get there. But I remember, you know, 16, 17 years old, I started selling 
t-shirts. You know, you'd have a fight coming up. You'd make a shirt. You'd sell it. I would get paid ticket sales too. I'd get $5 a ticket. So I was hustling 16, 17 years old, 18 years old as an amateur trying to, you know, make as much money each fight as I could. You're you're fighting and before the fight, you're making your own t-shirts and going around to the audience? Were you doing it um, after? Yeah. So if I had a fight coming up and, you know, a month, I would you know, make t-shirts and my dad would help me and sell them to our friends and, you know, local people in Helena would with 20, 30 shirts at a time or whatever it was. Nothing crazy. But I remember I wanted to be... I wanted to be rich, but I didn't know how I was going to be rich. And then once I started fighting, I'm like, okay, maybe this could be it because I don't really know what else is what else it's going to be. But uh, yeah, that that's you know, 16, 17 year old selling t-shirts and merch and stuff. Now I have my own sugar shop and it does really well. And I feel like some people just have it. Some people want it. Some people don't. And I think if you want it and you have it, you'll figure out how to get there. It's like you just got to put in the work. You don't need you. You can't have so, someone. You can't need someone to tell you to do the work. Like I never needed a coach to say, hey, bro, you gotta, we, we gotta go train, you gotta go to the gym. I never needed that. I was in the gym, I was training. And I, I didn't really need someone saying, hey, make sure you try to learn how to eat healthy. Like me and Tim, my buddy Tim, we lived together. We kind of started learning all that together. Um, but I didn't need someone to, to help, like want me to improve. I wanted to improve. And I feel like if you have that, like you have a good shot of being successful, whatever you do. I also sold t-shirts. I, uh, in college, freshman year, I saw some other people doing it. I said, oh, you know, that's interesting. <laughs> so back then, you couldn't go online. I mean, I'm 55 years old, so right, there's okay. no Google to look. So yeah, you're right. in the phone book, uh, Yellow Pages, hey, I want to make these t-shirts. Oh, wow. So I, I bought them for six bucks. And you know, you're taking a risk because you don't know if the shirts are coming yeah. in good or bad. And uh, short sleeves were a dollar more. Uh, I sold the, sh the short sleeves for 12, the long sleeves for uh, 18, so better margin on those. Yeah. Went door to door in every dorm. I get kicked out of every floor. I go back <laughs> in the back end. I literally hit every single dorm. What shirts were you selling? Uh, well, okay. So I was selling um, Just Do It shirts, mm. uh, Nike. Didn't mm -hmm. really ask permission, obviously. And uh, I thought funny. I created uh, better Just Do It shirts. I mean, today you could never get away with it. Right, this, right, was, right. this was, you know, That's 1986 <laughs> through 1990. And, and uh, you know, the experience of cold calling and getting door shut in your face and you're getting kicked out was very, very good for me. And I think one of the greatest skills you can have to be successful is cold calling people. Mm, so have you ever gone door to door and learned the cold calling skill and, and the fear and, and getting over Fear of rejection. I mean, it could be selling stuff. It could be going up to a bunch of girls and saying, "Hey, we go out with me." And, That's hard. You know, no Still way. Hard. Um, I, I did one time. I had like a sponsorship write out to where like, pay me eight hundred bucks, and you'll have this on your logo, this on this, and this. And I had to go to a couple different sponsors, and that was hard for me. That was like, oh, I felt, I just felt super, super uncomfortable. I only did that a few times, um, but yeah, that was very uncomfortable. So. You're young and you want to be famous. Why the fame? I mean, uh, the, the famous people that I know can't leave their house, can't go to the grocery store, <laughs> have trouble finding people who are true friends. Yeah. What, what was it about fame that was interesting to you? And is it all, uh, is it all that's cracked up to be? It's a good question. I don't know. I've never really been able to sit down and figure out why. I, I just have you know pretty vivid memories being young, young, wanted. I don't know if it came from... I used to be obsessed with football and I used to watch football every Sunday, Monday, whatever, NFL total access during the week. Like I watched and and just like the football players were famous to me and I wanted I'm like I wanted to be in the NFL so bad. 
I don't know if that's kind of where it stemmed from. I don't know if it's just that that deep insecurity of wanting to be liked. I, I don't know where it came from, but it was from when I was young. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't mind. It's you know what's cool is seeing walk into into a store and and some this happened. To, I'm trying to think of where. Oh, is at the hotel. The the room the room the um, room service lady. I was walking by and she just her eyes got huge. She started freaking out, screaming that I was walking by. Screaming. Like, ah. Yeah, like screaming. Like it was. It was right in front of your face. Yeah, and it was just <laughs> like that's pretty cool to be able to give someone that experience. And again, I don't know why that's cool, but it feels good. It's and, and you know take a picture with her. So that's pretty cool, I guess, in a sense of being famous and making people feel good, but. Yeah, sometimes pain in the ass. You want to go to the Sprouts and you you don't want to. You're like, God, it's like, I want to go to the grocery store and not have to think about, you know, being a little paranoid. That Because sometimes people watch it and you can see people's phones. You people see people like, but it, it, I mean, that, if that's the worst part of my day is having to go to Sprouts and get take up pictures, like, the day's pretty good. So it's not, yeah, it's not too bad. Can you lead a normal life now where you're just going out and taking a stroll or going to the mall or doing it? Doing things are are there things you're not doing? Well, it's just normal now. Like that is a normal going out and like expecting it to be people there. Like that's just normal now. It, it was a gradual build from get signed to the UFC, knock a couple people out. You know, maybe it's one person when I go out, and I was two people, and I was like a couple people. So it's it's just now it's normal. So it's almost more weird if I go somewhere and no one says anything. <laughs> Uh, UFC is now, I believe, the fourth most popular sport in the world. It has your recognition? <laughs> What's that? It's the number one. Is number one sport? Well, I, I think well, statistically, okay. is it number four? Yeah, <laughs> I think statistically, I um, uh, interviewed Dana White uh, mm. at, at a conference, and uh, I, I believe it's it's the number four sport in the world. I mean, that's that's huge. Have that's you huge. seen your recognition go up as the sport has increased over the last few years? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, each knockout goes up more and more and more. So. But yeah, I definitely noticed that. Are you looking for your next great gift to surprise a friend, colleague, or loved one? Bliss Beaches makes the perfect gift. This best-selling bright and beautiful coffee table book by Randall Kaplan features stunning drone photography from exotic beach locations around the world. It's the perfect housewarming gift, a great addition to any home or office, and a fun and creative alternative to bringing a bottle of wine to somebody's house for dinner. Bliss Beaches is available for purchase on Amazon, where it has glowing reviews and a five-star rating. Get your next amazing gift and order a copy of Bliss Beaches by clicking the link in our show notes. So why fight in the first place? I mean, what was what was the first punch that you threw where it actually felt good? Go back to the first street fight you had. I mean, you punched... You wasn't know, a street you, fighter. Uh, well, I, I'm talking about when you hit someone in high school and got kicked out. Was that, was that your first fight? I, I, I never fought outside of the gym. I never really got in street fights. So, um, so the first fight you had was in a gym. Yeah. And what was it? What, I, what was never, the first punch feel like? I never really looked at fighting as like a. It's violent. It's a dangerous sport. I just kind of always looked at it as a sport. Like it's like I'm gonna you know go out there and turn this dude's lights off in the most non-violent way. Think, put him put him asleep, end the fight. You know, it's just like it's always been chess to me. It's always been a violent game of chess. It's never been like a aggressive fight like i want to hurt this guy because i don't like him it's never really been like that to me um it's always more of like a, a sport who's gonna go out there and who's gonna win and that's what it's always been to me 
So I think a lot of people don't know how you go from your first fight to where you are today and how many it takes to get there. So can, can you walk people through the very beginning and who has to be in your corner and say, okay, Sugar's gonna get the next fight and he's gonna get a big fight and he's moving up on, on the card mm -hmm. uh, up until the main event. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've done a good job at uh, managing my career in that aspect from getting signed to UFC and kind of navigating that and dealing with Hunter and Dana directly. What year was that? So, so take us back to the beginning because I think there's a lot of people who don't know, and I think there's um, a bunch of people who are not UFC fans right yeah. now who are listening and watching the show. So I'd say I turned pro probably 20 years old, something like that, rack up five or six wins, fighting in Montana. I'd, I'd fight Mon go back to Montana, fight pro fights. Um, they weren't the hardest pro fights. It was just like I was kind of getting a good record. I think I was 5-0, 6-0, knock out this dude in North Dakota. Then I get this big fight. An LFA fight, which is a bigger organization. It's a good feeder into the UFC. I believe I was 6-0 at the time. And uh, Dana White's Contender Series was the new thing. And it was about to air next year or in a couple months or whatever. And I knew if I could go out there and put on a put on a show, I fought this guy named David Nuzo. Like if I can go out there and knock this dude out, I pretty much guarantee I can get on. So I'm like 6-0, six, six finishes, whatever my record was. I had a good record. Go out there and knock this dude out and just... One of my favorite knockouts still. I throw a right, I throw a head kick into a spinning kick, knock him out. It goes viral-ish. Like it's it on my, YouTube. Yeah, it it's was great. my first, I, I, yeah. first viral knockout. So then they offer me a fight on the Contender Series. Snoop Dogg's commentating. Yeah. And uh, that was that was a big deal, having Snoop Dogg commentate. Him going, oh, Mally, just like 30 times in a row. He went crazy. Went crazy. crazy. He was posting me on his Instagram, which blew up my Instagram, which made me like, I was like, kind of get addicted to like the likes and stuff. I was like, oh shit, I can get a good following from this. And uh, so that that's how that happened. Got signed to UFC, knocked out that dude. Went hung out with Snoop, smoked with Snoop, hung out with Snoop for a little bit. Big, big, like a uh, cigar joint. Just around blunts. And I yeah. was cross-eyed about five minutes in, walking out of there, like <laughs> feeling like I'm in a movie. Just knocked this dude out. Just got signed to the UFC. Just smoked with Snoop. 21, 22 years old. And... Uh, so yeah, I think that was in like a June or July, and then I, you know, booked my first fight December first in Vegas. In in, or no, the Contender Series was my first fight in Vegas. Then my next fight was December first, which was my first UFC fight in Vegas. Um, yeah, win that one. Didn't didn't win it by knockout or anything. Won a decision. It was still a very entertaining fight. One of my favorite fights myself to go back and watch because it was so entertaining and, and there's a lot of flashy things that happened. Won that. Book, book my next fight and uh, in Vegas again. This one's on a pay-per-view now. I fought a kid named Andre Soccer. I, I called him Andre Soccer Mom. Now I always forget his very real name. But I fought this kid named Andre. Broke my foot in the third round with three minutes left. Tore the Liz Franck. It's uh, the ligaments on top of my foot. And uh, there's three minutes left and it was clearly hurt. Clearly like couldn't walk on my, or couldn't even stand on it. He took me down. Thankfully, I don't know why he's still on one, one hop now. You're, you're I'm one. hopping, punching him in the face, I'm still <laughs> piecing him up. He took me down, and uh, thankfully he did because I couldn't, I couldn't, yeah, use that foot. Um, but yeah, that was kind of. And then after that fight, I feel like I gained quite a bit of popularity because of the whole Rogan was interviewing me, interviewing me on the ground, laying there. Uh, the fight was entertaining. Broke my foot, but uh, yeah, that's kind of got the ball rolling. So you're hanging out with Snoop, you're smoking, 
Mm. You wake up the next day and are you saying to yourself, man, I am living my dream. This is so fucking cool. What's next? I think at that time, you know, I was still living in an apartment and uh where? In in uh Glendale in Arizona. And I Where were you like, paying him rent? Do you remember? Like eight hundred bucks. And, and what'd you get? Room. What'd you get for the fight? How how much were you paying? Ten thousand, I think, for that one. Or no, was it five thousand? I think it's five thousand. Five or ten thousand. I don't remember. But I remember after my first fight, I think it was like ten and ten, you get twenty thousand. You pay pay the gym, pay whatever. It ends up not being a ton, but with that money. I bought. I'm like, well, let's put a down payment on a house and like move into like nice little shitty house. And that was my first house I bought. But it was yeah, that was a cool experience because you're not really making money fighting until you even once you get in the UFC. Like the little the first off couple fights, you're not making a lot of money, especially with taxes. Hate taxes. I've had to pay a lot this year. It was sad. <laughs> Very depressing. Makes makes our world go on. We live in the greatest country on earth, yes. so we pay for our freedom. Yes, I agree, and that's always a good perspective, a good reminder. Uh, I still live on a shitty dirt road though, so that sucks. But um, yeah, but that's your choice. I'm sure. You, I'm sure you could buy whatever house you yeah. want at this point. Um, but yeah, it was it was cool to make money for the first like actually make money fighting. It's, it's it still blows my mind to be honest. So does Dana White control the destiny, your destiny, and the destiny of your fighters? Who's picking the fights, and how are they doing it? Is Dana saying, "Man, Sean." is going to be a superstar, so I want to make sure he keeps advancing his career. And then when someone loses, they're going down on the on, on the pole a little bit and not getting the best fights. Yeah, I mean, that would be more of a question for Dana and, and Sean Shelby and, you know, Hunter. Those guys kind of navigate, you know, how the UFC runs. I uh, accept fights and... Dana loves you, by the way. I spent some time with him last yeah. night and he says, man, you're the next big thing. Yeah, I mean, he's not wrong. I think UFC's, you know, they're, they're a business. They're a fight business, but ultimately they're a business. They want to make money, and, and they know how, you know, Dana saw it when he saw me fight Alfred. He, he said, I have that thing, and uh, that it thing, and here we are. What, that was 2017? So, you know, I'm the champ now, so whatever what, whatever they did, it worked. I'm here. I, I won the fights that I needed to win, and, uh, yeah, I do believe I'm the next big thing. He, he believes it too. Uh, I uh, interviewed Dana. He was telling me the story of Conor McGregor and Conor met the Fertitta brothers first. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, Dana, man, you got to talk to this guy. Or I think it was the other way around. I, I'm, I'm not sure. And, and uh-huh. you know, the guy was very flamboyant, said he's going to be the champ. <laughs> Definitely wasn't the champ back then. Right. But how much has your being flamboyant, the purple hair, the tats everywhere, how much has that contributed to your success? Um. Uh, probably a little bit. I, I get. I, I. I think what it comes down to is if you go out and just watch my highlights from when I got in the UFC, even before. Like, I'm fun to watch. I'm entertaining. I'm knocking people out in spectacular fashion. It doesn't matter what color my hair is or my, you know, kind of car I drive, the t- face tattoos. Like none of that matters if I'm not knocking people out. And people look past that. People look like, oh, you're, you're popular, you're famous, you're the champ because you have crazy hair. UFC wants you to be champ. Like, no, I just knocked out Aljamain Sterling, the greatest bantamweight of all time. I fought Peter Yan, beat Peter Yan in the fight before that. Like, that's why I'm the champ. Um, but as far as, like, taking it to the next level, I think, I think that, you know, the hair and, and the, the, all that extra stuff definitely plays a role. People want to see characters. People want to see, see uh, you know, that, you know, we're obviously all human, but people want to see see characters and that's what i think that i've done a good job doing
Conor McGregor, the most famous UFC fighter yeah. ever. And yeah. people are saying you're the next Conor McGregor. Yeah. How does that feel? It's funny. It's like people say that in a, like a negative way. Most people. Like you're I'm saying it in a very positive way because that. I think it's I fucking cool. Yeah. yeah. But it's funny. I do get that a lot. You're a wannabe Conor. Like, yeah. Like, how, how much did he make? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think he made thirty. He, he made thirty million dollars for his fight with Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. yeah. Floyd made I think eighty to a hundred million dollars. Yeah. So in in that sense, yeah, I kind of want to be like Connor. Uh, I also want to. It, it's hard when you get that famous, that much money. It's like to stay that active. I'd like to stay active. I'd like to continue to fight a lot. Um, but as far as like people ask me if I think I'm the biggest star in the UFC right now, and I I don't really know how to answer that. I think UFC would know analytically. Like real, the real numbers, who's the biggest star? I don't know. I would say I'm definitely up there. But when it comes to potential, who, who has the potential to be the biggest star ever? I'm definitely the number one guy. I believe I could be way bigger than Connor. And, and just because Connor hasn't fought in so long, he, he like pre COVID 2020, you know, whatever it was, the UFC grew f- almost 50%. They almost, you know, yeah, I think Dana said it was like 48% in a couple of years the UFC grew because of COVID. Like, that's that's my prime. That's where I'm knocking people out. That's where I'm, you know, on the rise right now. I'm the champ right now. So I have so much more people to be seen by. So, and that's the only reason I say that I could be way bigger than Connors because there's just more people watching the sport right now. You feel the pressure that people no. are putting on you? Not really. I never, I, I don't really feel that pressure, to be honest. I don't really uh, put that much pressure on myself. Self, it just kind of like, like if this is all gone tomorrow, do I have the skills to be happy? Like I believe I do. I think you know it'd be a different pace of life, different change of life. This all went away tomorrow. Could, didn't fight anymore. I retired. No one gives a fuck about me anymore because I don't fight, which is a real thing. Like you quit fighting once you're done. It's like these people start to lose interest in you. You know you're not getting the brand deal. You're not the next big thing. Could I still figure, do I still know how to be happy? And I think happiness is a skill. And uh, I feel like I could definitely, you know, figure that out and be okay. So I don't really put that much pressure on myself. Like, oh, this is the only way, like, I can make it. Let's talk about your nickname. Where did it come from? And do people walk up to you on the street and call you Sean, Sugar? What's that? A lot of people call, well, not as much anymore. But when I first started coming up, it was always Sugar Shane. Snoop still calls me Sugar Shane. Sugar Shane Mosley is like, People, Sugar Shane just kind of rolls. But yeah, Sugar came from uh, Johnny Aho, who was like one of my first coaches in Montana. And uh, he said I was just so sweet to watch. So he gave me the nickname Sugar. I kind of took the R off and, and went more with Sugar. But yeah, Sugar was kind of like the first one. He said because I was so sweet to watch. One of the things that's made me successful over the years is something called extreme preparation. It's something I've been teaching and coaching for 20 years. So when someone preps for something for one hour, I'm 30, 40, 50. Mm-hmm. I know extreme preparation has been a huge part of your success. Yeah. Can you explain exactly what that means to you and how preparation is so important to being the champ? Yeah, for me, it's like I, I wouldn't take a, a short notice fight. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how like a specific date or weeks, but I wouldn't. I like to have 12 weeks. 12 weeks is today, which is ironically like 12 weeks from fight is today. And what's your next fight to tell people out there? March 9th, Miami. Um, yeah, preparation. Against, uh, Cheeto. Yep, rematch. Um, that's going to be a big one. But preparation for me is, uh, you know, I, I, like, I break it down in little blocks, four-week blocks from, you know, 12 to 8, 8 to 4, 4 to fight. Like I have, you know, I gradually pick up the pace, um, the discipline. 
they can't be too extremely disciplined this far out. Right. And I'm talking dialed in, zero distractions, too far out. It's a balancing game. You got to balance it. Um, so I feel like I've done a very good job balancing that and really figuring out what to do in those 12 weeks. Um, so yeah, I, I I like to have a good amount of time to to get my mind right, to get physically in shape. Fighting is the most exhausting sport in the world. I'm the champ now, so I'm doing five five minute rounds. I'm not doing three minute or three fives. I'm doing five fives, and I got to train like the fight's gonna go five fives. This very well could go 25 minutes with Cheeto. It's very, very, very durable, very tough, very slow, very ugly, but he's good. So you know, I got to be prepared to go 25 minutes.